Good morning. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's stand up. I have a new song today. You're going to love it. Mike's going to lead us. It goes like this.
this chorus, we adore you. It's a great chorus, it's a little add-on to this song. So it's we adore you. Let's sing it, here we go. Christ and the gospel begun in Bethlehem. I believe in the one whose spirit glorified a little town and whose spirit still brings hope to people all over the world in towns both large and small. I believe in the one whom crowded in could find no room and I confess that at times I have excluded Christ from my own life. I believe in the one who the rulers of the earth ignored and the proud could never understand, whose human life was among common people, whose welcome came from those with hungry hearts. I believe in the one who proclaimed the love of God to be invincible. I believe in the one whose cradle was a mother's arms, whose modest home in Nazareth had love for its only wealth who looked at men and women and opened their eyes to God's love for them, who by love brought sinners back to purity and lifted human weakness up to meet the strength of God. I confess my everlasting need of God, the need of forgiveness for our selfishness and greed, and need of new life for empty souls, the need of love for hearts grown cold. I believe in God who gives us all of himself, I believe in Jesus, the Son of the living God, born in Bethlehem in the season for me and for the world. God, um, to uh, say a creedal statement like that, uh, a statement of belief, um, we all join together in uh, unity to come and say, Lord, uh, we believe in what you did. We believe that, uh, God, you've made us for yourself. We believe that... Um, there's been times that uh, 
geez, we've um, excluded you from our own life and done our own thing. And because of that, Lord, you decided there needed to be a way um, a way out from our sin and our misguidedness. And so you sent Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you did, because now we have a bridge to eternity forever in the Christ child and the one who uh, we celebrate this season. So, Lord, that's uh, sort of an ironic season where we think about uh, you coming uh, to the world uh, in this manger in this beautiful way, but you came to um, die in our place, and for that we're grateful. I pray, Lord, the gospel story is something that takes center stage in our life today. I realize that uh, in a room like this, um, there are cancer diagnoses, uh, diagnoses, there are um, broken families, there are hurt relationships, there's unemployment, there's uh, tough stuff going on all over this room. Uh, and, and there is a lot of joy, too. There's a lot of really good things happening, but somehow, some, some way, sometimes the holidays sort of intensify tough things. So, um, again, Lord, may your story take center stage so that our joy um, comes from you and not from our circumstances, good or bad circumstances. So, Lord, we love you, and uh, we gather to this place to say thank you and to say uh, again, uh, to sing again of your gospel story and uh, say thank you, Lord, for just all that you've done, and we'll be careful to give you praise throughout the morning in this hour. We all pray in Jesus' name and say amen. God bless you, friends. Glad you're here. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a moment and just uh, say hi to a few people around us. Thanks. Good morning, Hopevale. And Merry Christmas. Okay, three of you guys are in the Christmas spirit today, so maybe we can try that again. Merry Christmas. Hey, it is great to be here this morning. Just an awesome uh, start to the service today to just sing these Christmas songs and lift the name of Jesus on high. Uh, my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm one of the pastors here. And especially if this is your first time here at Hopevale, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And hopefully as you came into the auditorium this morning, you were handed a program. And there's a lot of great information on there. But one of the next steps that we would invite you to do with this program would be on the back side, on the bottom, there's a place where you can fill out some of your information. And if you're willing to share that with us, you can drop it in the offering plate as that passes down the aisle here in a couple minutes. Or you can take it right to our Welcome Center. And if you take that step, we actually have a free gift for you there uh, at the Welcome Center just to uh, really continue building the relationship between us and you. We're so glad that you're here. And really, as a church, it's our heart to see you get connected here. And we primarily see that happen in a couple of different ways through finding a group to belong to or a team to serve on. And so there's lots of different opportunities to connect and we just want to help you navigate those steps or just answer any questions that you might have about Hopevale. Uh, so, hey, Christmas is coming, right? And so uh, with our services coming up, we just wanted to take a moment to uh, walk you through that a little bit. Here in Saginaw on Sunday the 22nd, we're having our regular services as normal that morning. And then our Christmas services happen that Monday and Tuesday the 23rd and the 24th. So across those two days, there are five different service opportunities that you can participate with. All of those services are identical. And so with all of that information, we actually put together this card for you. 
and it can serve two purposes. One, to help you plan which service that you would like to attend, but then also uh, an opportunity for you to share this card with uh, friends and neighbors, coworkers, family members, whoever the Lord is laying on your heart to invite to a service this year. This is a tool for you to invite others as well. And hey, as part of those Christmas services, we actually take a special offering called the Christmas Outreach Offering. And this is a a special over and above our regular giving offering that we have actually uh, received for the last 10 years. This will be our 10th year of giving to this special fund. And it's uh, designed to go all, all these dollars go outside the walls to bless people in the name of Jesus. And in the, the years that we have given to this fund, We've invested over a million dollars towards blessing people in the name of Jesus. And that's just an incredible picture of the generosity of this church and the heart for others, right? Uh, We want to invite people to know and follow Jesus. And this fund is uh, an even more special way that we accomplish that on a regular basis. And so not only have these dollars equipped groups at Hopevale to go and serve locally, but there's also a global mission component to this as well. And this year, we've actually identified five specific global missions projects that this offering this year is going to fund. And so uh, to share a little bit more about those opportunities, we put together a short video. Uh, So let's direct our attention to the screens as we watch that. At Hopevale, outreach is what we do to reach others for Christ beyond these walls, near and far. Part of our Christmas outreach offering meets distant needs, those beyond our nation's borders. When you give to the Christmas outreach offering, you will help fund five new Hopevale Global Projects. The SIL Translation Project serves five million unreached Muslims in a North African country. Your gift funds the completion of the translations of the Gospel of Mark and the Book of Acts and creates audio recordings so that these friends can hear God's Word in their native language for the very first time. Mission Next helps professionals and entrepreneurs find creative ways to reach countries and share their lives with unbelievers in places where missionaries are either illegal or severely restricted. Your gift provides needed new technology to match over 2,500 professionals with overseas missions opportunities. Your gift will help fund a recent Bay City College graduate to spend seven months in North Africa doing friendship evangelism and discipleship on a college campus under the guidance of Crew, the former Campus Crusade. Among the 23 million people in Mumbai, India, your gift can help change the perception among upper-class Brahmin that Christianity is a lower-class religion. Our project funds pre-evangelistic outreach events for artists, musicians, and filmmakers in Mumbai as part of a long-term strategy to change the hearts of the people who deeply influence Indian culture. Lastly, your gift will be used to help the Navigators build their first ever outreach center among the Gwalof people group. There are currently only 120 known believers among this Muslim population of over 6 million people. That is what your giving can do. It helps us invite people, both near and far, to know and follow Jesus.
as you can see, we're trusting that this fund is going to make a huge global impact in the name of Jesus, and we're excited about that. And so uh, in the coming weeks, uh, a couple of different ways to give to that. Uh, giving to the Christmas Outreach Offering goes live today through December 31st, and we have these envelopes that you can pick up throughout the lobby. There's also a safe and secure uh, mobile giving platform that you can engage to give, or just go to our website, and there are uh, links that you can follow there to give to the Christmas Outreach Offering this year. So our encouragement to you right now is just be in prayer about how the Lord might lead you to give to this year's offering. Well, hey, at this time, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we prepare uh, to give this morning. And, uh, you know, as I look back on this past week, uh, I was just reflecting on just the beauty of the church and the benefit that it brings to this region in particular, and then these impacts that we get to make around the world as well. And I had the opportunity to, to sit uh, with, with somebody who, whose family experienced a deep and tragic loss and just had a great conversation with her. She's not a part of the Hopevale family yet, but we invited her to come and be a part uh, of services on Sunday and just hear about the hope that we have in Christ. And as I walked away from that conversation, it just, it just made me think, like, wow, what if, like, what if Hopevale wasn't in this region, right? Where would people who are really hurting find the hope that they can have in Christ and so as I reflected on that, it just made me really uh, appreciate this body of believers and your generosity to give to the local church so that we can make an impact in the lives of people around the region as we invite them to know and follow Jesus because he loves them so much, right? And so with that in mind, we prepare to give this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are just so uh, grateful for you God, your love for us. God, we are so grateful for your church, God, and we, we are the church. Sometimes that blows me away that that was your plan, that that was your model all along. Uh, Lord, uh, you in the flesh, Jesus, could have stayed on this earth and carried out your mission in a far more effective way uh, than us messed up, broken humans. Uh, Lord, and yet uh, you chose to entrust us with the gift of the gospel. God, you gave us your Holy Spirit to indwell our lives so that we would live in a manner that shows the world who you are. And God, we want to take that calling, that responsibility very seriously. And Lord, part of our obedience and faithfulness to you uh, throughout our lives is through just the finances that you entrust us with, God. And so today, we want to give back a portion of what you have entrusted to us so that uh, who you are can be made even more beautiful to people who are far from you currently, God. And so, Lord, would you take and use all of these gifts that we are about to give to your church to expand uh, your glory, your kingdom here on this earth as it is in heaven, Lord, and thank you so much for the opportunity that you have given us to play a role in that. Lord, it's something we take very seriously. God, and we want to give our entire lives to that cause. So God, thank you again for loving us, for giving Jesus for us, and inviting us to this life of purpose in you. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning, Hopevale. Oh, it is great to be with you this Christmas season as we sing these songs of worship that direct our hearts to Jesus. Want to welcome those of you joining us in Bay City as well, and want to say a hello to Nate and Amanda Murray, who are in Bay City this weekend, candidating for the campus pastor position in Bay City. Welcome to Michigan and Bay City, uh, the church there. Uh, be on your best behavior, okay? Uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff, and we're really praying for God to speak clearly as we um, seek his will for our church, one church, two locations. Well, I don't know if you know this, but today is December 15th, the 15th, which means we are now just 10 days away from Christmas. I can't believe how quickly it's gone. You know, I love the festivity of the Christmas season, and you know, one of the things I appreciate the most this time of year is all the decorations, right? Just wonderful to see. Now, to be clear, I'm not one of those all-in, put lights on everything, run up the electric bill kind of guys, right? You know, now I appreciate the passion of those of you who are wired that way, right? It's not me. But even still, you know, it's more than just the lights. Practically anything, anything that is a visual decoration that reminds me of Christmas, I like. I really do, except, except, you know, the gigantic lawn inflatables up front, right? Do we really need a 30-foot Grinch on the front lawn, right? Maybe it's just me, but I think the inflatables just need to be on the used car lots, right? Yeah. Anyways, you know, talking about decorations got me thinking about Christmas, and I want to ask you this question. What's your favorite kind of Christmas decoration? What's your favorite kind of Christmas decoration? Actually, take a moment, turn to the person next to you, and share with each other your answer. Give you a couple moments to do that. Your favorite kind of Christmas decoration. Okay, let's see what we came up with. How many people do you lights? Like the lights are your favorite, right? Okay, uh, trees. Real or artificial? Yeah, all right. Uh, ornaments. Okay, I got a few on the ornament side. Or maybe you're old school, like candles and fresh greens. Anybody that like that? Okay, couple. Mistletoe? Yeah, I know your type, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you like more of the religious imagery, uh, you know, nativity scenes? Yeah, yeah, good church answer. Um, Advent calendars, right? Yeah. Decoration with a treat. How can you go wrong, right? So many choices, so many things that remind me of Christmas. And, you know, for me, I don't know if I can narrow it down to just one. But what I can tell you is that one of my favorites and probably the most underrated Christmas decoration of all is the snow globe. Right? We got any snow globe fans in here? Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is, right? Because the concept's pretty simple. It's pretty low tech that you have a snow globe in your hand, but you give it a few shakes and something magical happens, right? It's just so mesmerizing. And it's not just the instant snow, but it's this feeling of fascination like you're peering into another world. 
a winter world, a Christmas world, a world that is blissful and serene where all is calm and all is bright. I think of that well-known Christmas movie from years ago starring Tim Allen called The Santa Claus, right? And there's a snow globe in that movie, isn't there? Where the head elf Bernard gives to this little boy named Charlie a snow globe to remind him that the North Pole is real. It's real because when he looks into this magical snow globe, he gets a glimpse into another world, the North Pole world. And when Charlie sees that world, it melts his doubts away. The snow globe. Now I realize that, you know, the movie, The Santa Claus is fictional, but wouldn't it be great there really was something like a snow globe that could give us a glimpse into another world, a different world, a better world, a world that unlike ours, it really is blissful and serene, and that when we could look into this world and see what it looks like, it would melt our doubts away, our fears, our anxieties. It would assure us in the end that things really are going to be all right. Wouldn't it be great? Well, what if I told you there really was such a magical device? Although technically, magical isn't quite the right word to describe it, because it's not rooted in fantasy or sleight of hand. No, this device is rooted in history, reality, eternity. It's called the Bible. And what makes the Bible so special is that it connects us to an unseen yet very real world called the kingdom of heaven. A world that is inhabited by an unseen yet very real ruler called the Lord God Almighty. And every fanciful longing that is stirred up within us when we shake up a snow globe can ultimately find its fulfillment and satisfaction when we follow the signposts of the Bible. And that's what we're going to do today as we continue on in our Christmas series entitled Good News of Great Joy, where Pastor Sam, over the last previous two weeks, has told us, right, that there is this angelic proclamation to lowly shepherds, good news of great joy to those gathered on a Bethlehem hillside 2,000 years ago, as we're told in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2, verse 10, our theme verse for this series. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. All the people, even for this ragtag group of societal outcasts living under the stifling oppression of the Roman Empire that sucked every ounce of hope and joy from their souls. Now here comes this angel of blinding brightness who had come from another world, a heavenly world, into this earth and to proclaim good news that would cause great joy for them. And what was that good news? Well, it's the heart of the real Christmas story. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby, Jesus, wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. 
a savior, the Messiah, the, the Lord, the bringer of hope, the giver of joy, this ruler from another heavenly world who will one day make right everything that is wrong with this beautiful but broken world of ours. A world that not only the shepherds inhabited, but a world, the exact same world that you and I still live in today. He will be born to you. It was good news of great joy for the people back then, and it's still true for us today. That there is this genuine experience of joy that's found in Jesus, which transcends the fickleness of our feelings, the roller coaster of our emotions. You know, I love the way Sam explained this last week, that yes, God did create us in his image to feel all the feels, right? It's what it means to be human. It's what it means to be alive. But we don't have to be held captive by the whim of those feelings that can change on a dime. No, Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, he came to bring us a new outlook on life, one that is based on the certainty of God's favor rather than the chance of good fortune. And so building upon this foundation of us experiencing everlasting joy as opposed to feeling fleeting happiness, Pastor Sam last week walked us through the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? And showed us how the example of her obedience tells us that joy can be found even in the midst of our uncertainty, Joy can be found in the midst of our uncertainty that even if you don't have all the answers, or should I say especially when you don't have all the answers because we never will this side of heaven, right? Genuine joy can still be your experience. As a matter of fact, as Pastor Sam put it last week, part of the pathway of discovering joy is us letting go of having to have it all figured out. It's hard to do, but we need to do it. And instead, to let the undeniable overshadow the unexplainable and to trust in everything that we know to be true about Jesus. Joy over uncertainty was the heart of Sam's message last week. But today, as we go on, I want us to talk about overcoming another obstacle that can get in the way of us experiencing the good news of great joy that's found in Jesus. And that is the obstacle of regret. Regret. And somewhere in our past, or maybe even now in our present, there are these poor and unwise choices we've made. There are these selfish and hurtful mistakes that we have inflicted upon others and ourselves, where the consequences are so big, so heavy, so ugly that we cannot even begin to imagine that we could ever possibly experience genuine joy. Again, the obstacle of regrets. Now, way back when, we had a chance for joy, right? But we blew it. Big time. That outburst of anger where we swung a fist. Or we said some wounding words we could never take back. Or that foolish episode of our youth that got us into serious trouble and has followed us ever since. Or that season of infidelity where we snuck around in secret and refused to admit our wrong. Or maybe we just passively chose the path of plainness year after year after year and we now feel like our chance to do anything meaningful with our lives is gone. Or maybe it's something else. But whatever our regrets might be, you get that feeling where I've gone too far. I've 
done too much, and there is no way that this holy God of all creation would ever want me to be joyful. Again, that's how strong our regrets can be. But you know what? There is good news that causes great joy for all people. For all the people, including you, a joy that is found in Jesus and a joy that is greater and stronger and more powerful than your worst regrets. And so I want to tell you about that joy. And to do that, we are going to look at what I call a snow globe passage in the Bible. A snow globe passage where the grown-up Jesus gives us a glimpse into this other world called the kingdom of heaven. A glimpse that is so real, so powerful that it can radically transform our views about joy and how we even think about our worst regrets. The passage we're going to look at is found in the New Testament Gospel of Luke. Luke, Now, Luke is one of the four historical and biographical books about Jesus. They tell us his story of his life here on this earth. As a matter of fact, it's the same Gospel of Luke where we get our theme passage for this series, Luke 2, verse 10. And it's also in Luke where we learn of the detailed story about Mary in chapter 1 that Pastor Sam walked us through last week. But like I just said, today's passage happens some three decades later. Jesus is now grown up. And he's in the midst of his three-year ministry of teaching and healing and proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. And so if you have a Bible with you, physical or digital, I invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke. Today, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, you can also pull up the message notes on the Hopewell app. You can pull those up on our YouVersion app and follow along that way. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1 sets the stage. It says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, speaking of Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 1 sets the stage for our glimpse into the snow globe. And it's so important that we understand this setting here, specifically the main players involved, that you've got the adult Jesus along with two groups of people that could not possibly be any more different than each other. Two groups the outwardly rebellious and the overly religious. Two groups, the outwardly rebellious and the overly religious. So first, you've got the tax collectors and sinners. The outwardly rebellious ones. These societal and religious, irreligious, I should say, outcasts, who paid no attention whatsoever to God's rules. The ones who know they've blown it with him and have given up trying to be good anymore. And then you've got the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the overly religious who paid very careful attention to God's rules, the exact opposite, so much so that they considered themselves altogether righteous and morally superior to everyone else. That's why at the end of verse 2, you see them muttering as they talk about Jesus, as they make judgments about his character. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That if he really was sent from God as he claimed to be, then he would know enough not to associate with such moral lowlife whose very company would render him ceremonially unclean before God. Tax collectors and sinners. Pharisees and teachers of the law. The outwardly rebellious and the overly religious. So with these groups gathered, what does Jesus have to say 
about joy and regret. Let's take a look. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Now we're going to stop right there and talk about what a parable is. That a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That Jesus uses ordinary objects to explain extraordinary truths about the kingdom of heaven. Ordinary objects to explain extraordinary truths about the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's Jesus giving us a glimpse into another world. His world, the the world where he coexisted with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit since all eternity past, where, where it was way before he was born to Mary in Bethlehem, wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger. That's a parable. And see, you need to understand this about parables. That when Jesus tells a parable, he is not some philosopher speculating how things might be in this theoretical other world, right? No, Jesus is an actual resident from the kingdom of heaven. He's been there, and he's trying to tell us how things really are there, right? Huge difference. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning from someone who's actually lived there. So back to the parable, verse 4. Earthly story, ordinary objects. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? See, there's the earthly story. Let's go on. Verse 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully, there's our word, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. Oh, this this shepherd is full of joy. I have found my lost sheep. Ordinary objects, right? Earthly story. Now here's the bridge. Here's the bridge to the heavenly meaning, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, do you feel that? That's a bridge statement. Building the bridge from one world to this other world, shaking the snow globe. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or as Jesus might say, who think they do not need to repent. We'll get back to that later. Now we've already talked a lot in this series about us experiencing joy in this world. But here in verse 7, Jesus is shaking the snow globe and he says, you know what unleashes indescribable joy in heaven? You know what it is? It's when people, even the worst of the worst, move past their regrets and return to God. It's when we move past our regrets and return to God. It's when the lost are found. It's when they're brought back into the fold. That is when all of heaven rejoices. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, there's another parable right after this one. But before we look at that, I think we need to unpack one of these words, one of these really religious-sounding words like repent. Feels, sounds pretty churchy, right? What does Jesus mean when he talks about Repent. Well, repentance is regret with a humble response. Regret, like knowing you've messed up, feeling that, but humbly responding to it. In other words, I own my sin before God, right? 
I'm not going to excuse it. I'm not going to explain it away. I'm not going to blame it on someone else. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to downplay it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to say, that was me. I did it. And I'm going to express my need for his forgiveness. I own my sin before God and express my need for his forgiveness. Repent. And when the one who has a humble response to their regrets and comes back to God, this is when the joy in heaven is unleashed. See, now what I'm about to say here about regrets is going to go against what some of you have heard from your therapists, what you have read in self-help books, what you have seen on TV talk shows. Here it is. Regret in and of itself is not a bad thing. Regret in and of itself is not a bad thing. No, if I have done something selfish that has offended God, that has hurt others, I should have a sense of regret. I should have feelings of remorse. I should. Now, there's a whole separate discussion about the difference between true regret and false regret. False regret where someone else sins against me but somehow manipulates me and thinks it's my fault. It makes me think it's my fault, right? That's false regret. That's not what we're talking about here. But, you know, in spiritually and emotionally healthy cases, true regret can be like the check engine light of our hearts that's telling us something's wrong, something's off, right? And so as long as we live in a world where nobody's perfect, including you, including me, there's always going to be regret. So regret in and of itself isn't a bad thing, but here's where we get into trouble, and this is what Jesus wants to understand, wants us to understand with this parable, that regret isn't meant to be a destination in life, but rather a doorway to restoration with God. Not a destination, but a doorway. That it's something we should move through, not stay in, and see, that's where we get in trouble. Because if we stay stuck in our regrets, if we never move past them, that's when we lose our joy. That's when we will be consumed with feelings of desperation and hopelessness. No, regret, because we're going to blow it, people, we're going to have regrets. But they're not meant to be a destination. They're meant to be a doorway, a doorway to restoration with God where lost things, where far away things, like us as people, are welcome to come back home again. We all are going to do things we regret, but that is not the issue, right? No, the issue is repentance. The issue is responding with a humble response before God, before others, before our own pride, right? That when we blow it, we own it. When we blow it with God, we blow it with others, we own it. That regret needs to be that doorway we go through to bring us back home to restoration with God. Well, back to Luke chapter 15, because Jesus goes on with another parable, verse 8, very similar. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Again, another story of losing something of great value. Verse 8, and when she finds it, she calls her friends, boy, doesn't this sound very familiar? Calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Another story of lost and found that winds up with great joy and celebration. Verse 10, in the same way, there's our bridge comment, there's our snow globe comment. 
I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, Jesus, the actual resident of heaven, not the speculative philosopher, is telling us, I've been there, listen. I've seen what goes on in heaven. And that when people move past their regrets and return to God in humility, with repentance, the angels go crazy. Really, that's the way it is. I tell you in the same way, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, there's one more parable that Jesus follows up with in Luke 15. And this one might rank as his most famous parable of all. It's what we often refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. Where instead of telling the story of a lost sheep or a lost coin, Jesus tells the story of a lost son. A lost son who after a season of rebellious living does come to a place of deep regret. Deep regret. But you know what happens in the story? He doesn't stay stuck there. No, in humility... He returns to his father and he owns up to all his ugliness. And he does so with these powerful words. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now that's repentance, right? He has blown it, but now he owns it. But here's the twist of the story, right? Because what happens is even more amazing, that instead of finding the rejection he expects, this lost son experiences the acceptance he longs for, which just like in the other two parables results in massive rejoicing. It's incredible. Now, we don't have time to walk through the parable of the prodigal son in its entirety, but you know what's interesting about it? And Think about the two groups gathered to hear Jesus, right? The outwardly rebellious and the overly religious, right? Now, Jesus really tells the story of not one, but two lost sons. The rebellious one, just like I described, but also the self-righteous one who stayed at home. And in this parable, with this incredible twist of irony, Jesus teaches us that lostness with God isn't just limited to the rebellious. No, spiritual lostness can also dress itself up in self-righteousness and religiosity lacking the humility to see their own need for repentance as well. See, it's not just the worst of the worst of us that need God's forgiveness. No, even the best of the best of us, right? We also fall short of God's righteous perfection, where we too need to own our own sin and confess our need for his forgiveness. Forgiveness that ultimately comes to us later on through his crucifixion, through his resurrection of this same Jesus who's telling us this parable. Three earthly stories, very similar, with one same heavenly meaning that all of heaven rejoices when we move past our regrets, return to God in humble repentance. That it is, when it comes to our regrets, never too late, and you are never too far, Jesus says, to come back home and experience his joy. Now, there's so much we could take away from these parables, and I trust that God has already spoken to your heart, that these glimpses into the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has given us through these parables has encouraged you. But, you know, there's one last thing that I want to make sure you don't miss from all of this, and it has to do with how we think about God. 
how we think about God, or even more specifically, how we think God thinks about us. Because let me tell you, that makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world, whether our regrets will be our destination and define the rest of our lives, or our regrets will be the doorway to our restoration back to God and lead us to joy everlasting. How we think about God, and even more specifically, how we think God thinks about us. Here's what I mean, okay? There is this well-known Christmas story that I know you know by heart. It goes something like this. He's making a list, checking it twice, gonna find out who's naughty or nice, right? Very good. I'm trying out for the Christmas services special music. I don't know if Billy caught that one or not. Naughty or nice. That's a song about Santa Claus, right? But a lot of us think about God the exact same way, especially when it comes to our mistakes, our regrets, and all the ways we've blown it in the past. That God is up there in heaven. He's got this list with everyone's name on it, and next to ours, there's a big black mark. And that because of that black mark, we stay away from God. We hide for fear of rejection. How could God possibly accept me after all I've done? And I can't tell you that in all my years as a pastor, how many times I've run into people who are stuck in their regrets because they think about God this way. Like God with the big black mark next to our name. And maybe that's you. But I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be like that because that's not the way it is. No, you know, the parables that we've looked at today are glimpses into the snow globe. These pictures of the kingdom of heaven, they all tell us this, that joy, not rejection, awaits us when we move past our regrets and return to God. You may not even begin to fathom this, but it's true. But the heart of God says that joy, not rejection, awaits you when you can move past your regrets and return to God. That's good news of grace. Joy. See, listen, you may not believe this, but God takes no pleasure in our lostness. He doesn't. And he takes and finds no delight when we're far from him because we're afraid of his rejection. Now, see, the whole point of the parables, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost sons. Tell us that you are of infinitely great value to God. You are. Not only that, but the manger of Christmas is proof of that. The cross of Good Friday is proof of that. The empty tomb of Easter is proof of that. God's great and grand gestures of love to let you know that you are never too far and it is never too late. To humbly return your regrets into repentance and to come back home to the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Joy, not rejection, awaits us when we can move past our regrets and return to God. Now, for some of you, you are hearing this good news of great joy in a brand new way. You've never thought about God like this before, and it blows your mind that he could love you like this after all you've done. But you know what? He can, and you know what? He does. He does. 
So don't stay stuck in your regrets. No, repent from your sin, right? When you blow it, own it. Believe in Jesus as your Savior. Receive his forgiveness and experience his joy. This is what it means to become a Christian. And you know what? Just like we saw when you do, there's much rejoicing in heaven. There really is. Because God's heart is with you and God's heart is for you to come back home to him. For others of us, you may know Jesus as your savior, but right now you're lost. You're far from home. Maybe you are stuck in past regrets. You're dealing with guilt and shame, or maybe you're presently creating new regrets because you're trying to find capital L life apart from Jesus. Listen, the invitation is the same, to repent from your sin, to return from your lostness, and to come back home to God. To come back home to him and to live the joy-filled life of righteousness that he has for you and that he wants to live through you. Repent, return, rejoice. As we celebrate the joy of Jesus today, as we celebrate this joy that is greater than our regrets, I want to give you one last verse, one last promise, one last glimpse into the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And we'll close with this comes from the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For now there is no condemnation whatsoever, no matter how great your regrets might be, that in the eyes of God there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That if God is no longer holding your offenses against you, then neither should you. I mean, can you feel the freedom? Can you feel the liberation of these words? That no matter matter how heavy your regrets may be, there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus bore your guilt. Because Jesus removed your shame. See, Jesus is proof that God wants you to experience the joy of restoration rather than the shame of condemnation. The shame that can come from all our regrets. No, that shame, it's gone forever. Jesus took it completely away. That's what makes Christmas so amazing. That's why we will never tire of celebrating this good news of great joy that's found in Jesus, a joy that is greater than our worst regrets. So let's celebrate and let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you cared so much, you loved so much. To not just stay in the comforts of heaven, but to let your son travel from your world to our world, to this world, to build the bridge, to fill the gap, and to bring us back home. And thank you that your parables give us a glimpse of your great love for us a love that is greater than our worst mistakes. And thank you that it's not just in stories, but in actions like the manger, like the cross, like the empty tomb, that we're invited to come back home and that there is joy, not rejection, when we can move past our regrets and return to you. Lord, I know that you know 
every story in this room. You know the struggles, you know the hurt, you know the pain, you know the guilt, you know the shame. It's all very real. But Jesus, thank you that your love, your blood, your sacrifice, your victorious resurrection, they cover all that and bring us back home. And so God, for those of us who are distant, help us to return. That in our repentance, you would find us. And that we would experience this unbelievable, inexplainable joy that you have for us. The joy of restoration, the joy of reconciliation, the joy of being with the one who loves us more than we could ever imagine. So thank you. And thank you that it all started with Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close today, we're going to respond with a song of worship that isn't technically a Christmas song. It's a song that speaks of the joy that comes when we're restored back to God. A song that is just filled with images of the parables we've just looked at. So would you stand together and let us sing out as the worship team leads us. Love of God. 
says that God's up in heaven like this. It's a lie to be torn down because the parables tell us the look into the snow globe, the manger, the cross, the empty tomb tell us that our God in heaven is like this. I'm just waiting for us to come back home. I'd encourage you, boy, if you're, you're struggling with regrets, talk to a friend, talk to one of us pastors, talk to anyone just who who knows Christ, can tell you about the journey and what it means to come back home because that's the heart and the joy of Christmas. And we'll continue the series next week. Pastor Sam's going to be speaking on the 22nd, talking more about joy. And then after Sunday, the 22nd, our services on the 23rd and the 24th. But as you go from here, may you go, out, go in the joy that is found in Jesus. God bless you.